Gabby Reese and Desmond Howard got me fired up in this episode, inspired to train and eat and breathe and recover and live smarter and better. Both my iconic guests turned 50 this year. Nobody can believe that either one of them in that age. And they come at it from different perspectives. Volleyball and football are very different sports, but they also have a lot in common. They've learned what works, and they're really generous about sharing it with other people. And you don't have to be closing in on 50 or past it to get a ton out of their wisdom and their experience. You know, I wasted a lot of years. I don't believe in regrets, but if I'm being honest, for years I was sort of unfit. I loved working out. That wasn't a problem, but I wasn't that smart about it. And I didn't get the results that I wanted. I didn't eat very smart. I didn't drink smart. I would drink a lot more tequila and mezcal than wine and whiskey. It makes a difference. You can look it up. Uh, on the road, I didn't sleep nearly enough. When I got injured early in my life, I didn't rehab properly at all. And I paid the price that all turned around. I got three surgeries in two years, two in the shoulder area, one in the knee. And this time I attacked the physical therapy. I turned weakness into strength and actually got stronger after the surgeries and established a mind-body connection, and that has been really important in my life. But in my early years, I certainly wish that I had listened to people as sharp and passionate as Gabby and Des are. We are the ones that create the limitations. I do it to myself. I'm not different than anyone else. I, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm the one who creates these boundaries because I'm afraid to try something new. And just to remind people that, you know, being willing to try something new and having, you know, when they even talk about neuroplasticity, trying these new things, it's like, you're never going to regret that. And also put yourself in environments where people are supporting you when you're doing something new. The fact that I'm very competitive too. I mean, I'm extremely competitive. So if I see something, I, I just automatically look at it as a challenge. And then the competitive nature of me takes over. So I think one of the, uh, one of the best uh, pieces of advice that I, I've heard, I got from my, my mentor was, you know, work smarter, not harder. You're going to enjoy my conversation with Des coming up later. We had some good laughs about the old game days and his love affair with donuts. Now, Gabby is a former Florida State Seminole who was a pro volleyball star and an international model and always created platforms to promote wellness and fitness ideas. The Gabby Reese Show on Apple Podcasts uh, takes some really deep dives into the fascinating topics. Her husband and business partner is a legend too, giant wave surfer, adventurer, Laird Hamilton, and together they're raising three daughters and splitting time between Malibu and Hawaii. So earlier this year, a milestone that freaks out a lot of people. I didn't feel great about turning 50. How did you approach it emotionally and physically as that date was getting nearer and then when it hit? You know, I, I actually, to be honest, I remember 40 being a lot more uncomfortable for some reason, I don't know, than 50. And, um, and I also think that between 40 and 50, I had a lot of things happen, especially as a parent that really kept me focused on 
things that were really important, but also weirdly with a new level of surrender, if I might say this, like you get to certain places in your parenting where you, uh, you, you learn to surrender, but uh, you know, it's like almost everything, um, is okay, I'm going to work hard and do the best I can. And like, what are you going to do past that? And the other thing I have learned that I think is really important is not to spend too much time on things that are so out of my control. Like I'm not going to stop time. And so one thing I've really tried to do a lot of in my life is when I really know I can't really change it, or it's something that like New Yorkers would say it is what it is, right? It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to torture yourself? It's like, no, could I be my most badass self right now? Let's go. And the other last thing too is I'm always reminded I can't be younger today, but in some weird way, there's something I could do to be better for sure. But yeah, I wasn't like, also, let me frame it up and not, I wasn't like, oh my God, isn't it awesome? I'm 50. I was like, whoa, that's kind of weird. When did I, how did that happen? I certainly and gracefully accept that I'm 50. I have three daughters. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting is when you're biologically sort of not in that prime spot anymore, there's no better way to learn about that as a mother than when you have three daughters and you watch them all blossom sort of into that. And so that what that does is you talk about acceptance. You go, yes, I'm, I'm not at that part of my life, that stage anymore, but I have um, a lot of desires or dreams or... I'm highly motivated to train hard and do things. And so why shouldn't I, even if I'm a mom or 50 or someone's wife? Well, acceptance is important. You seem to be lined up with that. Does defiance play a part saying that I'm not going to listen to every signal that my body is sending me because sometimes the body is telling you to pack it in, to quit, to not commit in the same way you have in the past. What, what role does that sort of defiance play for you? You know, you'll, you've talked to a lot of athletes and you know that no one ever plays 100%. You always play in pain or discomfort of some type. No one's life is ever fully perfect. I think part of living is part of, of being able to move forward and continue towards progress and growth, even when you have things that are uncomfortable, be it personal or physical. And I think that for me personally, what I have learned the difference is when it's hard and when I'm hurting myself. And so I try really hard in my training not to hurt myself, but by all means, I certainly go towards hard um, pretty often. Yeah, I mean, beach volleyball and volleyball in general, incredibly rigorous sport. Sometimes people get caught up in the trappings of the sport and don't realize what hard-ass work it is to, to move around and get up and down in the sand. I mean, describe the workouts that you went through when you were sort of in the, in the peak days of your professional career? Well, I, I mean, like every athlete you'll hear, I know so much more today uh, in my training. I wish I was as sophisticated then as I was now, but certainly my volleyball was very sophisticated. Probably like three, four hours in the sand, and then you're doing land training to enhance your performance. Um, so whether it's versions of plyometrics and, and uh, different types of the year, whether you're maintaining during your competing time or you're trying to build strength and endurance in preparation for your season. But you know, what's interesting is I've gotten uh, older and been around, but the only thing I always want to remind athletes um, young or old is if you're in a repetitive sport, every sport has repetitive motion. Um, part of your training should be unwinding 
what you're winding up all the time. And unfortunately, our training oftentimes continues to reinforce those patterns. And so one thing I have learned as I've gotten older is I can work really hard, but I just need to work hard in a different direction because I've been going, your sport takes you by nature. You know, if I'm a pitcher, by nature, this is what I'm doing. These are my mechanics, right? So it's just, it's just um, you know, and I didn't do like breath work. I didn't do active recovery when I was competing. I would take a day off, but I didn't. Maybe you get worked on. But the other thing is reminding uh, people, especially as they age, to participate in their recovery. So whether it's stretching or breathing or get in the sauna or, or swim in a pool, that it isn't just, okay, I took the day off. But do stuff to actually boost your recovery for sure. You mentioned a couple things. Are there other specific things that you wish you knew then that you knew now that involve, if not training harder, but training smarter? What would you like to tell yourself from a couple decades ago? Hey, Gabby, this is what's really important that you don't know yet. Well, that flexibility and stretching is so incredibly boring. If you're not naturally good at it, you shy away from it. When you have long levers and you're a jumping athlete, normally you're not good at it. But to do it, because you might save yourself a lot of headache, um, I th- listen, I think I have an artificial knee because of a lack of hip and ankle mobility and tight quads that were like beef jerky. I don't think I, there was anything wrong with my knees, right? And so I would have definitely said, I know it sucks and it takes an extra 10 minutes and you have here and there to go and places to, you know, go to and people to see, take the time and do it. You seem really at peace as you should be with where you are now, but many athletes I've talked to go through almost a morning phase when they understand that peak condition that they took great pride in being able to achieve, they're not going to be there again. It's going to have to redefine maybe what peak condition is, but that's really difficult for a lot of athletes. Whether it's an endurance sport or a, or a contact sport, a lot of them have expressed that to me. Did you go through any sort of period like that? Uh, you know, yes and no, mostly no, because let's face it, I play beach volleyball and that's a very small platform. So I always had my eyes on the horizon. I was always really well aware of the limitations. And so I was always doing many things and it wasn't really because I didn't love volleyball. It was because I had, I was like, I did all those things to support my habit of playing volleyball. So it wasn't like a basketball or football where it's like all in. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, you know, what happened? But here, this is what I say to a lot of athletes. Like, we'll have athletes that come and train with us. And I had a kid play Clemson football, double knee surgeries. He's done. And probably talented enough could have at least had a shot in the NFL, but it's not going to happen, right? And I said, I always try to remind athletes, you're like a loaded gun. You just have to pick your next target, you know? And to not think that that's all who you are, that is your identity. No, that is something that you as the individual person chose to express yourself. And within that there was camaraderie, there was hard work, there was learning. If you were lucky enough to have a good coach, there was some interesting mentorship. Um, and then there was competing at this high level, that frequency that like when you get to touch it once in a while, you're like, man, this is all pissed inspiring. But we can do that in other places in our life. We just have to you know, recalibrate, redirect that action. Um, And having said that, uh, I think it's also important for an athlete to be reminded what a great thing that you got to experience something at that high level. Now, if there is a a reminiscent and there's something sad about it, but how lucky for you that you got to experience something at such a high, high level. And now what do you want to do? Because I think we don't give ourselves enough credit. I don't mean athletes. I just mean human beings that 
if you're really willing to work hard and work towards a goal and work with other people, um, that in this next phase, they can do it, but they just have to, you know, put effort towards what is that. One of the companies you and your husband are involved with, XPT, fascinates me. It stands for extreme performance training. And the extreme is, is an interesting definition of how you guys define extreme because it really is so well-rounded and so holistic. And we'll cover some of the things that are under the X, XPT umbrella. But what was sort of the, the reason behind putting this company together and combining the various things you guys were expert in from breathing, moving, recovery? Well, so we didn't really even want to do this, but a girl I used to compete with who then um, was a very dear friend of mine since like 1993. And then we, we never really played together, but we played at the same time. And then we started working together. She watched us for like 10 years doing this training, especially the pool training. And then we incorporated heat and ice and then started learning about breathing um, initially through Wim Hof. And then there's a great book for anyone who wants to read it, even just people have to sit at their desks all day long called The Oxygen Advantage by a gentleman named Patrick McCune, which will tell you why you should be nose breathing all the time. Um, and she's like, you have to share this with other people. And we were like, we don't know anything. And who, how are we going to have people fly around from around, you know, far and spend two and a half days with us? But anyway, it was born out of that. And the pillars of that are breathe, move, and recover. So obviously Laird being a surfer, and Laird's sort of the creative impetus for all of this. He's the most curious and we'll try things if it makes sense and mess around with it. So breathing, imagine for a big wave surfer, there's something extra, right? Like, oh, they're held under and like the, the you know, the precious breath, if you will. But really, once you get into the practice of breathing, you realize how most of us are not doing it correctly. So that's, and that's the essence of life. Okay, we can do without food and water and all these things for quite a long time, or breathing, air, not so much. So movement, we, you know, we're physical beings. We just need to move our bodies. And even within XPT, we're not here to tell you how to move. We will make suggestions, but ultimately it's getting people to be like, huh, how do I want to move? You know, some people are like, I can't even step inside a gym and you go, great. There's a million ways to do it. And then recovery, which is what I alluded to earlier, which is like, actually the boosting or the supporting of your recovery, be it through stretching or breath work or getting mobility or self-care. Like there's a great program called by a woman named Jill Miller. I don't have anything to do with it. I just know it's a great resource called Yoga Tune-Up. And she basically will teach you how to scrape every part of your body and get you know your, your fascia and get everything unwound that you can do. And she has a whole kit and it's pretty genius. And um, and so getting people to be responsible for their recovery. But if you talk to Laird, it's like, it also means get to bed early. It also means try to eat well. It also means don't fill your time and your brain with a bunch of crap. And it also means like, how are your relationships? Like when you really talk to him, he's talking about the flywheel. And so we wanted to present that because I, I think the idea of sharing and saying, well, we've been in this, this seems to be working for us and our friends, but also reminding people that if we talk to them in a year, maybe things that we're learning or sharing will be different. Because I think that's the other thing is reminding people not to ping around, but to stay open-minded to continuing to learn so that you can continue to adapt and improve. Yeah, I'm going to dive into it. I'm looking forward to getting deeper into what you guys are doing. But adaptability is what I wanted to ask you about. I'm glad you brought that up because obviously with what we've been through with the pandemic, people are forced to constantly adapt with yoga studios and pools and gyms closed. What your program seems to do is to instill those skills in people that they can not focus on what they don't have, but what they're able to do and still get 
great result. That's got to be satisfying to see how people you've trained have used that in the last four or five months. Actually, it's also trying to use the platform to connect other people with each other so they can support one another on this online community right now. Because the other side of this is I couldn't get it done every week. And I don't think Laird could either without the support that we've created. And it's to remind people that very few people, even the greatest athletes I've ever met in the world can get it done alone. So how do you put in place that system that makes you successful? Not that you should fly out of bed every day and be like, I can't wait to get after it, but saying okay, where would I fall short or fail? And how do I put a system in place so that I have the opportunity to be successful? You've got such strength and you describe intensity as a person. Not everyone who's going to come to this or be listening to this is going to have those same qualities. They're not going to have an elite athlete background. What, what do you say to people who, who want to dive in, but maybe they don't think that they have those qualities in significant quantity to really succeed at this i always remind people that when we do stuff like this like it isn't actually about laird and i it's about the individual person and so wherever they are that's their baseline and it's just about taking you to your best because i i think at the end of the day it'd be like me comparing myself to laird or i have kid i've had guys come to my house that are 26 year old guys in the nfl like am i going to compare myself to them no, I'm not. So the whole thing is, and this is true to life, is how do we look inside of ourselves, be honest with ourselves, say, okay, I could probably do better. I could probably do more. I could probably push myself more. And also to remind people that we are the ones that create the limitations. I do it to myself. I'm not different than anyone else. I, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm the one who creates these boundaries because I'm afraid to try something new. And just to remind people that, you know, being willing to try something new and having, you know, when they even talk about neuroplasticity, trying these new things, it's like, you're never going to regret that. And also put yourself in environments where people are supporting you when you're doing something new. When people come to XPT, Laird and I always say, we can find anyone who can show you how impossible it is. That's not what we're doing. We're not here to show you that we can crush you. We're here to usher you and guide you into your experience. That's it. It's such an interesting collection of folks that seem to drop by your house and train, whether it's in California or in Hawaii. And, and what, what an eclectic, interesting group. Not all athletes. I know there are figures, some famous people, some not famous people. I mean, that must be really interesting to have that kind of collective energy and really different mindsets together. What, what have you gotten from people who maybe have far lesser athletic backgrounds, but, but they have their own experiences. What have you learned from them when they come hang out with you guys? You know, we have a lot, I always tell the people we do these like, you know, meet and greets in the beginning. I'm like, I know you're all alphas in your own world. So if it's a CEO person or a hedge fund or a VC guy, or, you know, I've had a lot of ladies, that'll say, oh, it was my whatever birthday and I gave myself a present. Um, and what you see is one common thing, um, is the ability to stay curious and to try. Um, and also like we, let's say alphas, right? So we have a lot of alphas. Everyone's more spectacular than the next, right? That comes to the house. And we always say, leave your sword at the door, right? Like we're all just, you know, getting through and making it. And, um, you know, so humility and just 
the openness to not knowing everything and to trying new things. Um, and that's what you realize that myself and a 70 year old woman with a 25 year old boy, young man, we could share that value and we could connect better than people who would appear to be more similar to us. Because when people are open-minded and curious and willing to say, I'm scared, but I'll try it. Um, we can, you can connect. The holistic approach of, of your company is what's impressive to me. There are people who believe that all improvement is interconnected, that improvement in one area is by definition improvement in the whole. Mm-hmm. How does that come into play for you guys? Where when it's, it is very, there's very much a mental, I don't know if you call it a spiritual component, but that goes with the physical. I don't know. I think it depends on your approach, right? I think if you're moving in a way and eating in a way that supports you, it sets you up to have the opportunity to probably perform better, whether it's in your relationships at your work, dealing with your own uh, personal issues, whatever that is. But I don't know that it's a guarantee because I know a lot of high performing people that um, can move better than anyone on the planet and eat perfect diets, but they also use it as an escape and something to control. And so that's where we fall short. If we go like, well, I have my calories and I did my 48 minutes and my heart rate was this. And I'm like, oh, you're trying to control your life through your moving and eating versus I'm going to do all of this because it makes me a better person. And it also sets me up to be fertile ground for like, okay, now I can really tackle the hard stuff. That's interesting. It that I guess the idealized version is that all improvement is connected, but you're saying a lot of people wall it off. How how would you help them to sort of break that down and have whatever you're trying to impart that have a positive effect in the rest of their life? I just think it's the invitation to say we're not perfect and we can't control everything, measure everything, time everything out, weigh everything out, and that life is incredibly messy. And if you choose especially to be entangled, which means relationships of any kind, then if you want to like sprinkle in some kids and like, you know, do all that, that it's like, it's messy. And it's, and you're up, I'm upside down a lot of the time. You know, I'm a mom, like, I don't know what's always going on. And, um, you know, they say that that part of our existence is entanglement, that really we awaken in these entanglements. And so I guess what I would say, because I believe everybody has their path, is to make the invitation to say, okay, it seems like you have, you're in charge of that pretty good. Now you want to take on, do you want to go to the next level, the next grade, or become a professor, which is to like get messy and try to improve Um, in the areas that um, are not only scary, but they're impossible to be good at. Like, no one's ever going to say like, wow, you're a great parent. Not really. Like, it's all, you know what I'm saying? Like, like to be a human being and to say, I'm going to show up every single day. I'm unsure. I'm scared. I don't even know what I'm doing. And no one at the end of the day is going to be like, great job. And here's the metrics. Now I'm interested. That's a good mic drop, but I want to circle back on a couple of things. I, I, I don't want to bog this down into breathing, but it's something that fascinates me because I am a Wim Hof disciple. You mentioned him and, and it's, it's as simple as sort of breathing and then learning to hold my breath. I'm very proud that I've gotten to five minutes 
and, and can do it consistently. What you guys are teaching that was way more um, sophisticated than that, right? I mean, it's literally learning how to use your muscles in your body to, to do the fundamental thing that we humans do. Well, I don't think, I don't know about sophistication because I appreciate like Wim himself is, you know, can do all these studies and works with Dr. Huberman and has done all mm. like he can control a lot. So he, but the thing about Wim is also Wim is sort of like a showman in a certain way. But what's amazing is that has actually created a breathing movement. It, you know, Wim has done that. Mm -hmm. So for us, because if it's one thing if you're Wim, but if you're going to be communicating with people and teaching people, especially like give me a guy from Boston who runs a hedge fund, um, you know, breathe that, you know, like motherfucker isn't going to totally work, right? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, well, here's the science on what happens when you mouth breathe, like a free diver, you scrub your CO2. Okay, fine. What does that mean? What that means is, then the oxygen that's actually in your bloodstream, the only way it can be absorbed into the cells and tissues is for your CO2 to be high. So how do we do that? We nose breathe. And so then, and break it down from there. Like, you know, we do a lot of hypoxic training in my pool. What happens there? You're getting, you say to someone, okay, you're going to have meetings for the day. You have a gnarly day. How do you, how do you use the breath? to upregulate, to go into your sympathetic. Okay, you've had a hell of a day. You're stressed out. You're getting ready for bed. What breathing patterns can you use to go into your parasympathetic and try to get a restful night's sleep because that's the only time you recover? So we try to approach it more like that. But see, I think it's all hands on deck. So if you got a guy like Wim and he's turning on millions of people and they're like even conscious of their breath, I think that's a win. Both of your lives have been so intertwined with nature. Explain why you think that exercise in whatever nature connects with people is better than the fluorescent light of a gym. What do our bodies get out of being outdoors when we're trying to achieve fitness? Well, I mean, the sun alone, and I would encourage people if they, they don't definitely don't have to believe me, but just do the research on sunglasses because so much is stimulated and cued through our eyeballs from sunlight for production of melatonin and things that will impact our sleep later and for vitamin D and other things. Right. So I think, uh, you know, our natural system, our biology is quite beautiful and quite harmonious with our, our natural environment. And, you know, we're on computers, we're in cars, we live in cities, what have you. And I totally respect that. But the fact is, it doesn't take away from who we are biologically and um, some, of, some of those things. So being out in nature, even your skin has, you know, photoreceptors on it. So with the light, you're picking up things about the light, um, you know, through your, through your skin. So, for example, why you'd want to sleep in a dark room, even if you had a mask on and not have any lights on, is because your skin's still aware of the light. Um, and natural lighting versus fluorescent lighting. I mean, how that impacts your overall emotional well-being, anxiety and hormones and everything else. Um, it's a real thing. So if people, unless they're skiing on a mountain or like riding vehicles where they need to protect their eyeballs, I would encourage them to go without sunglasses, especially outside as often as possible. And um, people say, well, my eyes are sensitive in the glare. And it's like, okay, they're not. I have green eyes. And it's about a practice. And it's also about the, the eye dilating and constricting all the time, not just being in one state. That's how you keep your eyes strong. But also it's a joke about two parts of your brain are outside of your skull and it's your eyeballs. That's really interesting. I've never heard it described that way. You know, just 
anecdotally, I mean, I, I, I like to climb mountains and hike and the sunglasses are often a part of that. But I, I've just found recently just taking them off and letting the real light in, unless the glare is really causing you problems. I mean, I, I felt better. I don't know why. Maybe that's based on what you just described. And I've, I've started to use them only when absolutely necessary if it's off of snow. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that was the reason. But um, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it just sets our brain and our whole chemistry in a certain hmm. way. And also, I think, you know, if you talk about nature, when we walk in nature, our, we use our eyes to look where we're stepping. I mean, there's so many nuanced things that are occurring that are so good for us um, that uh, I know it's easy to overlook. The last component is recovery, which has a lot of different aspects. Um, one of the more dramatic is obviously the ice bath. Um, my other guest, Desmond Howard, says, says ice baths are torture. They're, they're not for him. And I said, look, whatever works for you in recovery, you need to figure that out. Yeah. Would I be shamed if I came to your place and, and didn't uh, sit in the ice bath and, and tough it out? Because I know that's, listen, the cold shower thing, I mean, the, the cold shower Right. is to an ice bath what like a propeller plane is to a fighter jet. I mean, it's ice baths are extreme. <laughs> it, it, it is. I will remind people that actually I think the sauna is the king ultimately for recovery. I think heat shock proteins and some other benefits that you get from really sitting in a sauna uh, over the long run, even your cognitive function, uh, prevention of Alzheimer's and all-cause mortality. There's a lot of data showing how high that is. So heat is, is certainly important. I think what's interesting about the ice is, besides obviously there's hormone regulation and mood enhancement and certain things that actually happen. Um, and for women, you know, we can get into brown fat and sometimes that motivates them and all of that. But um, there's something about doing something that you're actually a little uncomfortable with. Like I'm not, I don't go in the ice and be like, oh yeah, party in the ice. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> There's something about working on that where you're like, I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to have to stay calm. That feels really important to me. Now, if anyone does use an ice tub, I want to remind them not to do it directly after heavy lifting. Um, it's important to have that destruction, that inflammation, all of that, that we do when we bang iron. And so the ice can stunt that a bit. So what I remind people is that the ice, like if somebody came out football practice and they were running, okay. But if, you know, or if you separate it as a separate practice, but definitely don't go from a, a performance type of training where you're trying to get gains, like weightlifting, and go into an ice tub. Because you have a unique perspective on this with, with your own experience and Laird's experience, are there any differences in this process of adapting and accepting but defying just enough uh, the fitness aspect at 50 plus between men and women, is there a fundamental difference or is that, is there a generalization that's not worth making there? No, I think it's different, but maybe not for the obvious reasons. I think obviously men have more testosterone. And so there's something interesting. Um, but I think a woman, if she is taking care of herself pretty well, um, you know, you can perform for a really long time. I mean, but they, they do have more of that hormone. It, you know, listen, let's honor the testosterone. You know, it's like, it's a real thing. But I think something else that maybe a woman falls vulnerable to that a man may be less is the aging part. Like we're more, I feel, I could be wrong from my perspective is sometimes we're more conscious, self-conscious of that we're getting older. And for men, 
they continue they they're not the young bull anymore so they have to manage that we don't have to manage that right um but they sort of it doesn't occur to them like well how, does my skin look pretty and like all this stuff where for women um beyond who we are as athletes if we if we uh don't make peace with that i think that that's another addition to our story to what degree is making peace gabby tuning out the external stuff the static what society tells us and and giving much more credence to your inner voice and how do you wrestle with that if you do i think it's both and i think it's the life that you try to build so then what you're looking to is you go huh how and what other ways do i contribute as a person. So I have knowledge that I didn't have 25 years ago, or, um, you know, I used to joke that I have a couple guys on the XPT staff. They're very, they're incredibly smart. Um, but they're like 35, right? Big, strong, healthy, good looking guys. And I think to myself, and not that it ever mattered, but in that moment, it's like, it doesn't matter if they want to sleep with me. Like I'm in a way their boss. Right. And so I think in a way for women, sometimes it's to, it's to understand that we have so much to contribute. And yes, at a time when we're supposed to be biologically signaling, like if that's your choice, that you're gonna make babies, then you're gonna, your skin's gonna look a certain way, your lips are gonna a certain way. Then you move into a different phase of your life. You, you don't, you're done with that, right? And so we have other things uh, to, to give and contribute and you can always be an athlete. That's why it's so important to take care of yourself. And the other great thing is, there's things I have now as a person that I wish I had as an athlete, which was, I wasn't, I, it was very hard to be competitive and then not somehow didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right? Like here you are in your early twenties and you have this weird thing of like, my job is to go out and, you know, get somebody. And um, then there's a part of me as a girl that's like, Oh, that was a struggle, you know? And now believe me, I, I have lost that because I've learned listen, I'm never going to make everybody like me or make everybody happy. So I'm going to stop trying. And so the energy goes into a different direction. So I think that's why it's kind of cool to be, stay in sports and stay in athletics or train. Because I always say, sometimes I do drills today and I'm like, literally go, this is what we're going to do. And I respond like a 15 year old boy, you know, like I'm defiant. I roll my eyes and I'm playful or obnoxious. And that's because in that moment, I'm just being an athlete and having fun and exploring the female, the male sides of myself and enjoying that. Um, so I think that that ends up being overriding for sure. 50 is a milestone. There are other milestones ahead. Do you look ahead at all or, or are you just in the present? Do you wonder and worry about potential limitations that are inevitable down the line? I mean, I always joke like how are like Laird's going to be with an old lady. And then I think um, myself, am I going to be with some old guy? You know, like I, we joke about that. Like I think about that and I go, Ooh, weird. Okay. Um, I think I'm always looking, understanding the landscape ahead, just on a little bit about as far as like where, what kind what part of the landscape would you like to end up on? Mm -hmm. So you're never sort of just floating around. But I think that I know that if I do the work, most of the time. It's not, I'm not perfect. I miss my workouts. So I might eat a piece of cake or whatever. I don't know. Um, but if I'm really showing up and doing the work that I probably will be led in the right way, as long as I'm really trying to listen to my own inner compass and really be diligent about keeping 
the noise out um, because then you'll find that people are like, how'd you get there? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just listened to myself and trusted myself that this is where I was going to belong and, and, and learn how to, you know, reorient when you aren't in the right spot. I think it's really wise adaptability in its many forms. I want to ask just a couple more things. One, if someone is not predisposed to accept all this, they don't see immediately the value. Let's say they've been sedentary. Let's say they've maybe given up hope on being fit and well at whatever stage of their life. They're in. This is complicated because you, everybody's different, but is there a, an overarching pep talk that you would boil down for someone in that position? I think it's, you know, listen, I always say this. If, if I say to you, oh my gosh, you need to move and you need to eat well, I can, I can show you how to do everything. I can lay it out for you, the map. I could even take you. But until you f- figure out why it's important to you, until it becomes a value to the individual person. So what I would first say to somebody is, okay, do you think you need to do that because you think you're supposed to want to do that? Or do you understand the value, the value of taking care of your health and things like that? Um, and then getting them to there, whether it's for relationships or what have you, right? And then it's just reminding them just a little at a time. It isn't about taking the whole thing and going to the top of the mountain. It's going, hey, listen, today, the best we got is a 15-minute walk. And we take out our worst eating habit. Just one. Not stop eating everything. Just take the one thing that you do that you know you is really the worst thing and eliminate that. And just start there. Um, and, then, and, and then remind people that we do need, like our brothers and sisters, to to schedule with us to help us be successful. That if you're gonna do it, you really have to create a small plan. Um, but I always am curious with people and I say like, you keep your houses clean, you clean your cars, you give your car the right fuel. Ultimately at the end of the day, besides our relationships, the most valuable thing that we own is our health. And I, I don't know if it's like having been an athlete where you get injured and you're like, I don't even know if I can sit on the toilet on my own and walk across the room because of my knee or my this or my back that you like, I don't need to lose that to understand um, that it's, but it's see, but see, it's a value to me. That's why I do it. So really it's got to start there. And when people don't have hope, um, I think it's the time when you lean in when you're just not sure, but you know, it's the right direction. You know, I'll I'll tell you something really quick. So I have a friend who's in the Navy SEALs, second day of hell week, guys are sitting on the beach looking at the sunset. And the most amount of people are leaving as the sun's going down, they're sitting on the beach. And And they hear the bell ringing, one bell, the bell, the bell, the guys when they quit. And the guys are on the megaphone going, the A team's coming because they have three teams that run the run the challenges. They're like, the alphas are coming. You're going to be so cold. It's going to be a long night. The reason they got for the first day was adrenaline. The second night, he said, you can't believe it. I go, what happened? He goes, the fear of what was going to happen destroyed so many of these guys. And so what I would also say to these people is when you feel that way, just move forward. And most of us, we make it through. The suffering in the imagination is far worse than the suffering in reality, right? If you can just get people to understand that. Just, just keep leaning into it. And it, I give you my word. And there's not many things I would stand on that, it, that we, we can get there. 
and that and that the individual person is worth it and it's them reminding themselves i'm worth it and i'm important and i need and this is uncomfortable and i'm just going to go into it well thanks I, i'm inspired i've learned a lot i'm fired up i'm ready to go outside in nature and, and do a workout and maybe even an ice bath you might have even convinced me about that if i can get the courage up. if you were like a real man and so you do an ice bath i'm just well kidding. thanks for being a, an example to to many people female and male appreciate you Oh, well, thank you. It's listen, if making it to 50 and that's the other thing for people, just remember it's the, it is really, truly the gift of, of another year. And when we're 80, we're going to look back and think, Oh my God, look how young we were at 50. So let's not waste a whole hell of a lot of time. Time is precious, isn't it? We appreciate Gabby for being generous with hers. You can follow her on Instagram at Gabby Reese and the Gabby Reese show is on Apple podcasts. Desmond Howard, he's probably working out right now or riding his bike around Miami or blending some new smoothie recipe or brewing some exotic tea. Des has become even more passionate about his health and about sharing ideas with others since hitting the big 5-0 this spring. On Instagram, his hashtag 21 at 50 connects with people. He goes live each Wednesday evening for Wellness Wednesday. Of course, in football, he was a Heisman Trophy winner at Michigan, Super Bowl MVP for the Packers. He is a dear friend and a colleague and a mainstay, of course, on ESPN College Game Day for many years. So Desmond, my friend, as this milestone in your life approached, I've left that in the rearview mirror. What was your psychological and physical approach to turning the big 5-0 this year? I tell you what, CF, because um, I've been working out consistently, um, I was excited about it. Unfortunately for me, it happened during the pandemic. So I couldn't have like the all out celebration that I wanted. Um, but psychologically, I was excited about it. I was happy. I was happy because I'm in a good place. I feel like I'm in a good place, you know, um, especially mentally and physically. And I wanted to start to just share my mental state and my, my physical state with people because I had a lot of people, they didn't believe I was 50, you know, they say, <laughs> which is a good thing. Well, you know, I, I took it as a compliment. They said, no, you can't be 50. And um, so I, I felt good about it outside of the fact that I couldn't have like a big celebration, but it was good to celebrate with the people on, uh, on my Instagram. As it approached, Des, you know, that age goes from being a four in the first number to a five. It's traumatic for a lot of people. You make a great point. The, the better shape you're in, the better you feel about yourself and your life, yeah. the less of an impact negatively these milestones have. Did you do things in your 40s knowing that you're about to hit that 50 milestone? It's just a number, but it can be a lot more than a number for a lot of people. No, you're exactly right. And it's... it's it is a milestone, and I guess in my 40s, I start to prepare myself just physically for being a healthier person. And it actually, yeah, it started before I got in my 40s. I was about 39 years old, 38, 39, and I went to the doctor and this regular checkup. And when I got my blood work back, uh, the doctor told me that my cholesterol was starting to creep up. My uh, my LDL numbers were starting to. Um, creep up a little bit and he wasn't comfortable with that. So obviously most doctors, as you know, they want to put you on some type of pill to control it. 
and I was um, against that. So I decided to just try to alter my eating habits. Um, you know, I, I have a sweet tooth. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I have a sweet tooth. At that point, I probably could eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, you know, within a matter of a couple hours and not even think twice. Um, so I knew I had to give up that type of, of, uh, of, of sweet. Uh, I, I would monitor. Everything is good in moderation for me. So I wouldn't eat a dozen, but I would still get some donuts. I was there those days when they would deliver those donuts to you. You were a notorious donut eater. So on college game day, they would know that. And here would come this box of donuts. I'm thinking Desmond's going to share. No, that was basically for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You remember those days, huh? <laughs> oh, man. So how tough was it to say, hey, I'm getting this from my doctor. I'm taking this seriously. I'm going to make a fundamental change in how I'm taking care of my body. You know, it, it wasn't very difficult. Um, there, the challenges came later on when I would travel with game day. That, those were the really challenges for me. Um, as far as, like I said, I, I didn't stop cold turkey. I, I was going to eat donuts. I just wouldn't eat them as often or a, a, as, as many. Um, so but I, I still got a sweet tooth. So I, I just started to practice the whole philosophy of everything's good in moderation. Uh, but then traveling with game day, that became the challenge for me because you, you, you're going to some of these small college towns. They don't have the best um, options as far as trying to eat healthier. And, and that's what I was doing. I was, I was on a quest to eat healthier. Mm -hmm. So keeping that type of um, eating habit consistent became the challenge. And then you get the big dinners, you know, we would go out to dinner and then, I mean, it's like a, it was like a, a, a king's um, spread. Sometimes we would go out Friday nights for dinner. Oh, yeah. And, and, and just sitting there and watching certain members of our crew just go at it. <laughs> You're not going to name Herb Street's name? <laughs> no, I know what you said, man. It, it, healthy habits on the road for a lot of people who travel for whatever their job is is super challenging. I want to get back in a little bit later to sort of what you put in your body. You are a chef master with the smoothies, with the teas, a lot of interesting things that kind of go into your overall wellness program. But I do want to back up. So you, you retire in 02. So there's 18 years between retirement and turning 50. How was your general state of health? You mentioned you had some health issues that doctors addressed in your 40s. What about working out? Because one, one thing I've heard from elite athletes, when they retire, what messes with their head is they know they will never be in that kind of shape again. And sometimes they just give up because they know they can't be what they once were. How was that for you wrestling with that reality? Well, I continue to work out probably not as much or as intense as intensely as I used to when I played football, but I would, I would work out. My setback came when I actually had a, um, a meniscus tear. And so once I had to have that repair, I've never, ever had any surgeries below the waist, never. And so that was the first time I had um, hurt my knee where I had to have surgery. And that set me back. So then coming back off surgery and then doing the rehab, you know, first of all, your body's not the same because, you know, you're going to put on the shelf for a matter of months and dealing with that rehab and then trying to get back in shape. That was a challenge because I wanted to run outside. But my doctor, he was against that. My, uh, my PT, physical therapist, he was against that. So then I had to make an, an adjustment. 
So I started to use the elliptical machine more because they say it's, it's low impact on your knees and um, the bike. So I had to make an adjustment as far as my cardio. You know, you want to get your body back in shape, but you want to do it the right way. So I couldn't run outside anymore. I could barely, you know, I wanted to do sprints. I, you know, they said, you know, we limit the sprints, maybe 10, but no, you know, three miles, five mile runs, no, nothing like that. So I would start to do interval training on the elliptical or on a spin bike, meaning I would go maybe 30 seconds hard on the elliptical and then 30 seconds, you know, just normal. And I would do that maybe 12 to 15 times. So that was to simulate a sprint. And then I would do the same thing with the bike. So early on, because of the surgery I had on my knee, my body didn't feel the same. It mm -hmm. kind of, you know, got out of shape. And it was a challenge now mentally to get back into some sort of shape. Yeah, I think athletes have so much experience with injuries. You, you, you said you hadn't had a knee before, but what I've found is the more experience you have with injuries, sometimes that knowledge can be a negative to your mindset because you know what it takes to get back off an injury. And if people who have never been injured before, I watch their reaction. They're scared because there's some uncertainty, but I also watch the reaction, whether it's on the football field or, or just the general public, when they've had repeated injuries, and I've been there, you know what it takes and how much work it is to get back to where you were. And was there a low point when you thought, Des, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to be as active in retirement as I thought before you figured out how to manage the injury? Yeah, I believe so, because it was like I was going through the motions. It's like I'm, go I'm working out but not with a, um, a definitive purpose in mind. Like I'm just going through the motions. And when you're going through the motions, Sia, you're not going to see the results that you want. You know, you know what you want to look like. I know what I used to be, but mm -hmm. I'm not getting to that point. So it's extremely frustrating because I'm, you know, going through the motions. I'm going through PT, I'm trying to make these alterations. Now, like I said, this is early. Now, this is, this is um, you know, 2002, 2003, this is early. So I haven't made the adjustment mentally yet to um, change my eating habits and then change my, 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 my workouts and things of that nature. So early on, it was a challenge because even though I was still working out, I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted. Yeah, that mind-body connection um, is something that an athlete understands maybe from a young age. Those of us who are non-athletes, my injuries helped me to establish a mind-body connection that I didn't have before. So you know you have to attack the weakness when you're doing physical therapy to get right. back to where you were. But I found I was able to improve, not just get back, but improve. And I, I think the, the, the value of physical therapists, man, it's, it's, they're right there with surgeons, I think, in terms of the importance of coming back. You know, w when you were in your 40s and approaching 50, were there figures for you that were inspirations. I don't know if they're ex-players or people from other walks of life or people who said, wait a minute, here's what's possible at 50 and beyond. And I'm going to be inspired by what they're doing. Yeah, you know, I have, and I'm going to go back to talk about the physical therapist because you did hit a good point. That's a very excellent point, actually, because they are so um, important. They're essential. And a good PT is the remedy to, to overcoming any injury that you've had, any surgery that you've had. And I've had a great uh, PT here and the thing is you walk into some of these offices and they have like the jerseys 
of some of the professional athletes who they've helped. So, <laughs> so just imagine, okay, so now I'm a professional, a former professional athlete. So I'm like, okay, I know this guy, I know that guy, I know this guy. And it gives me confidence that this guy knows what he's doing. And some of these guys, I can, um, you know, I can reach out to them and mm-hmm. ask them about, about the PT guy. I remember doing um, PT. Oh, man, when was this? It must have been like 06. And uh, it was some professional guys in there. And I think that just helps me. But then I started to think, you know, it's not just professional athletes. Here. I mean, it's just regular people who had surgery. This must make them feel like really good, though, because they're getting the type of physical therapy right. that the people who they watch, like this guy who plays for the Heat, or this guy who plays for the Dolphins, or these guys right here who play for the Miami Hurricanes, the same type of physical therapy that they're getting. So I think that, you know, that's, that's uh, I meant, to, add, I meant to, to say that. They're very essential to overcoming things physically, but also mentally, too, the way that they approach it. And you walk into these places, and you see all of these jerseys up there, and you're like, okay, I'm in the right place. This guy knows what he's doing. I could totally relate to that. I saw all the jerseys, the people that operated on on each of my shoulders and my knee. I've had the three surgeries in the last two years, and I looked at that wall, and I tried to get a sense of how fast they were able to come back, what things they did. And I know that I'm not an elite athlete, but if I could attack it with the same mindset as though I'm trying to get back on the ice or back on the field, right. uh, I thought that would be helpful. And I think that's good advice. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer. I try to be a Pied Piper for, for the the power of physical therapy. When you see guys, Des, in the sport that you used to play in, Tom Brady is 43, and the way he has sort of reshaped his physical training. Terrell Owens, 46-year-old T.O., running a 4-4-2-40 against Tyreek Hill. When you, when you saw that kind of thing, I mean, is, is it now possible through more knowledge and training to, to be elite like that much later than it used to be? I believe it is. Um, you know, you have, I mean, the, tech, the, the technology that we're dealing with now is so far advanced and where, where it was, especially when I played football, um, the, um, the knowledge of nutrition and uh, different ways to, to train, whether it's dumbbells, whether it's um, bands, different things in the way that they affect your body. Because I know that Tom Brady is really big on the band system. He loves mm-hmm. the bands. And, you know, you could take them anywhere that you want, you know, using your hotel room. You don't necessarily need, like, the heavy weights. And that's his trick. I mean, that's his key to success and what he believes in. But you, you, you factor in the nutrition, the technology, and now the different ways that you can train to, to I guess, give you the longevity that you're, you're looking for in particular sports is really mind-blowing. Hey, back – Back when I played football, I remember when I was at Michigan CF, and if you had like an ACL, that was career threatening. Mm. Like an ACL back then was like, oh my God, is he going to be able to come back? Would he ever be the same? Now an ACL is almost like an ankle sprain these days. I mean, it's so common and, and, and players are back on the field like that. So it just gives you an example of how far we've come as far as, you know, technology, medicine and physical therapy is concerned you train yourself to play two of the most punishing positions in any sport receiver kickoff returner the collisions you're training your body to be able to withstand collisions thankfully you no longer have to train your body to do that 
What okay. What is your routine? Take people through kind of what you do on the physical side. We'll get to the mental side in a bit, but physically to sort of stay in peak shape at 50 now. You know, I like, I like to mix it up. Um, I like to do bands. I do um, free weights. Um, man, I've done some classes. It's, it's, a, it's a class called SLT, which is really a challenge. And um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And so I like to mix it up. I like to box too. I love boxing. I think boxing, that's some of the uh, most uh, difficult training uh, that's out there. I think boxers are in tremendous shape. I have a jump rope. I love the jump rope. Uh, I don't do any more road work. I can't do road work anymore. Do you get in the ring with somebody? Do you get in there and spar, or is this just you? You 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 do all the punching? Uh, no, the I used to. I, not anymore. But I used to get in there with my guy. So I, I had a, a trainer. His name was Matt Biamonte, and uh, he's actually Matt Damon's trainer too. And uh, we all used to hang out. And Matt Biamonte, he learned under Angelo Dundee. Okay. Yeah, and so we used to have dinners together. Angelo was the greatest. Loved loved him. You know, may he rest in peace. But uh, so he learned, he trained under Angelo. And yeah, he used to get in the ring, used to uh, put on the headgear. And man, I miss those those sessions. But that's just like the best training. So I love to mix it up. I love to mix it up a lot. I've never seen you post on Instagram uh, a boxing training thing. Maybe you have. I do see you post your bike rides all the time. You've come to cycling because I know that running is punishing on the knees. And like a lot of people our age, you look for lower impact cardio. Plus you get to be outside and you, you're living down there in Miami. There's a lot of beautiful places you can cycle. So talk, talk to me about how important that is to what you're, what you're doing physically now. Yeah, that's another element too. I like cycling. Um, you know, I'm a, like I said earlier, I like the elliptical and the spin bike. And cycling outside is just, you know, first and foremost, it gets my mind right. Like, I just, this is me, the bike, and my thoughts. Um, and you can just ride. And I, I like to take a course where there's, you know, obviously uh, a minimal amount of traffic as far as cars are concerned. But when you get out there, Miami's beautiful. You know, I, I rode on the beach um, last week. Sometimes I'll go over, the, uh, over Key Biscayne and, and ride over that bridge. And I, I absolutely love it. You know, you can just keep going. I mean, I can't, it, it, it's, it's just, I don't know, it, it gives me an opportunity to reset. I normally do it on the weekends so I can reset. And uh, yeah, there's great cardio, wonderful cardio. I, you know, I was a guy who I think you know this, like I used to love watching Tour de France, right? <laughs> the Tour yep. de France was like the best. And I would be amazed at those guys every day. I would get up and watch it with my son and watch it in the morning. Like, man, that's just amazing that they can spend that much time on those bikes from the different stages and watching the pelotons and how you know the precision how close they are and how they just stay um, so close to each other at, at those speeds mind-blowing i had the privilege of watching a lot of tour de france's up close and personal and it, you're right it is amazing recovery is one of the key things in that sport. How these guys do yeah. these five, six-hour rides and then do it again, and it's over a three-week period. Recovery is something, for those of us of a certain age, that's a challenge. Because you can have your peak days. You can go out, you can still have a great day, even yeah. if you're a non-athlete like me, but you might feel it more the next day than you used to. You might struggle to figure out about recovery. What do you do to get your body back right and ready for the next workout? Well, I tell you what, you know, when I played ball, people would, well, the trainers would always say, you got to get in the ice tub. And I'm 
absolutely against the ice time. I, I felt like it was torture. I, I could not do ice. Like, like if I was a spy and anyone wanted to get the secrets out of me, just dip me in ice, I'd tell you everything. So I never was a big fan of getting into the ice tubs. It just didn't – I couldn't do it. So what I would do is um, – now at, at an advanced age now, what I do is I make sure I stretch afterwards. You have to give yourself time to stretch and stretch properly. Don't rush through a stretch. Stretch properly. Uh, I, I take bags of ice. Now, I can do a bag or two of ice and put that on something and put it on, like, my hamstrings or my quads if they feel sore. That's uh, junior varsity. A bag of ice is nothing like taking an ice bath plunge. But I, you, make, you make a good point. People tell you things – Here's what you have to do. Here's the best way. And a lot of people do talk about ice baths, including yeah. the other guests on this podcast, Gabby Reese. But you have to figure out what's what's right for you. I mean, right. if it feels like torture and it's not working for you, yep. it doesn't matter what other people say, right? Yeah, absolutely right. You have to do. You have to listen to your body and do what's best for you. And the, um, I guess the great thing is there are a lot of different um, examples out there to how you can recover. So just trial and error. Look at YouTube, look at a person who you respect and see what they're, what they recommend and then try it. And if it works for you, fine. If not, then move on. So that's, that's what I do. Especially listen, we get, you get up there in age, you know, you got to start making adjustments, you know, not, not in the twenties or thirties anymore. And so that's why I started to look at certain people and look at what they would do to recover, start doing my own homework, my own research and figured out what's best for me. But the most important thing you can do, like you said, CF, and I've talked about this on my Wellness Wednesday, is listen to your body and do what's best for you. Yeah, you bring up a concept there that's really important to me, and I think really important to everybody. There's, there's different stages when you hit these milestones. One is denial. If you get past that, then I think it's the balance between defiance and acceptance. And I think acceptance has a negative connotation, even though people who study psychology understand that accepting things is really a part of you know, raising your consciousness. But we want to be defiant and say that I am not going to be defeated by the aging process. How do you balance off you know, being defiant versus accepting the reality that you have to make those adjustments? Yeah, my biggest challenge has been the fact that I'm very competitive too. I mean, I'm extremely competitive. So if I see something, I, I just automatically look at it as a challenge. And then the competitive nature of me takes over. So I think one of the, uh, one of the best uh, pieces of advice that I, I've heard, I got from my, my mentor was, you know, work smarter, not harder. As you get older, you have to learn how to work smarter, not harder. And I think that's what I've really applied to, to my mental state now because it's challenging when you're a competitor and you say, okay, well, this says I need to do this many reps and I want to do it at a certain weight. Now I have to make sure that, listen, if I did it at, say I used 45 pounds before and I'm struggling to get to my target, then I'll start to back down because you don't, you never want to compromise your form for weight. You never, because that's how injuries happen. So I understand if I'm at seven, listen, I can give you a perfect example. Now this isn't, I had a TRX, right? So listen, I got this TRX from uh, uh, an event I went to. Those are the straps you attach to your bars, right? They're, they're kind of body weight, but it's a strap system, right? Absolutely right. Yeah. And this is all, it's, it's just body weight. So I'm using this TRX at my house, never used a system before 
and it comes with a video. So you have this video, you download and you, you play it. So I'm, I'm going through a full body workout. It says 47 minutes full body workout. I'm like, 47 minutes, sign me up. That's, I do that every day. <laughs> so I'm doing this workout, CF, and I'm done. That must have been a Monday night. Tuesday, I was okay. Wednesday morning, I go to take my sons to school. I drop them off. And as I'm about to run to my car, my back spasmed up on me, just tight, just, just stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, oh, man, what is that? So long story short, I called a chiropractor. He asked me, had, had I done anything new? I was like, no, not really. I said, oh, well, yeah, a couple of days ago, I did this TRX thing. He's like, that's what it is. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. He said, because that system, you're, you're suspended, and you don't have any support for your back. And if your technique or your form isn't correct, you can really hurt yourself. You're exactly right. Used properly with good form can be really beneficial. And right. people are always searching and trying something new. But if they're not 100% mindful, every rep and every exercise with the form stuff can be really damaging, especially when you're searching for answers and trying new stuff. Yeah. The 21 at 50, 21 for those of you who don't know, Desmond's number at Michigan. What was the inspiration behind that hashtag and launching this program on Instagram where you could be an example for others and also get great feedback from a lot of your followers. Yeah, the the, the um, inspiration was the fact, like I said, we talked about it earlier, I was hitting this milestone, right? Now I'm quarantined. Um, you can't really go out. You can't celebrate. So a, a couple of friends were saying, you know, you should do something on Instagram to try to celebrate your birthday. And I was like, you know, that's a good idea. And so I came up with this concept, okay, 21 at 50, because that was my number at Michigan, but I still felt young. Like I didn't feel like I was 50. And I always tell people, um, you know, you, you're, you're getting older, but don't say you're getting old because mm. there's a difference. Getting old is a mind state. Getting older, everyone's getting older. Only people not getting older are the people who ain't here no more. <laughs> so I Getting older is better than the alternative, isn't it? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> So you brace for this. So you want to celebrate your birthday, but then it becomes an expression of all the things that you can do physically. And, and people have really connected with that on Instagram. Yeah, it's really taken off. And, um, you know, I was really surprised by it. You know, you have people who they reach out and they want advice. And, you know, I was just really, to be completely honest, just trying to share my lifestyle with people. This is, these are the things that work for me. They may not work for you, but I'm going to let you know. I'm going to open my life up to you and show you a glimpse of what I do to keep myself healthy. And that was pretty much the motivation behind it, too. And the response has been uh, tremendous. You know, so the, I started the Instagram Live, which has been a lot of fun, um, the Wellness Wednesdays. And I've had some, uh, some special guests on there. And we, we've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I share, you know, my, my workouts, my eating habits. Um, the things I like to drink, uh, smoothie recipes, teas. Uh, people, I'm sure people you know probably familiar with a guy named uh, Rod, Rod Marcus. Roderick Marcus is a guy who's um, big in the culinary world, not just because of teas, but he also can get exotic um, herbs and spices that a lot of these high-end restaurants and uh, very popular chefs like a Wolfgang Puck these guys will use in their recipes at their restaurants. 
What part does that play in your overall wellness and how does it play into the physical part, the teas that you create? And folks, these are not regular teas. You, you, should, you should follow Desmond. You should see the kind of things he puts into water to, to, to make a tea to drink and, and the smoothies. What, what part does that play in, in the overall wellness picture? It plays a significant part. Uh, first, I drink a lot of water. I, I do, but now I like I like tea. I drink a lot of tea, and I believe that the um, the nutrients that you can get from certain teas are beneficial. Um, they, you know, they're healthy for you. Um, low low or zero calories, which is beneficial, which is great. So only calories you might get uh, come from however you choose to sweeten sweeten your tea. But um, yeah, and so are these non-caffeinated teas? You're not, you're not getting the buy. I drink I drink green tea during every podcast interview, but I'm get that's a caffeine delivery system. Something tells me you're you're not about the caffeine in these teas you create, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm not a guy who needs caffeine. I really don't. So if it has it, cool. If it doesn't, I'm good. But you know, I like I like matcha teas and um, I like oolong teas, and I mean, I have like probably in my pantry three shelves with teas. Well, I think people who take this in and as you said, you started it sort of as maybe a one way thing you sharing with others, but now they're sharing back and I go on your feed and there are people, Hey, Des, I went out for this ride or look at this workout that I did. What's been the most gratifying or surprising aspect of that where you realize the impact you're making on other people who are also going through the aging process? I tell you what, it's really funny when you hear about people who you're affecting that you didn't know you had any um, effect on, like my, my, I'll give you a perfect example. So my, I have three brothers, right? Two older, one younger. And my, uh, my oldest brother sent me a, uh, a text message from my second, my, you know, well, my other brother's wife, right? So come to find out that my older brother's Jonathan. Now my brother, Chad, his wife, watches my wellness Wednesdays and she watches my Instagram and she mentioned the biking, but she didn't mention it to me. She mentioned it to my oldest brother, Jonathan. And she said, yeah, Jonathan, I got Chad out here riding bikes now because we're going to catch up with Desmond. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like a secret. They didn't even let me know they're watching, but he said, she sent him a video of my brother out there riding bikes uh, with his wife, which was like, it meant everything to me. Like if I can affect my brother who like, he's not by any stretch of imagination, a guy who works out, does any cardio, but for him to get out there because he's inspired by seeing me do it was, uh, man, it, it just warmed my heart. It was great to see. That's a great story. Now you got to get Chad down there out of Cleveland, out into Miami. You said you're competitive. You're yeah. going to race him on bikes and leave him in the dust, or are you just going <laughs> to ride alongside him and be supportive? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to be supportive. I'm not trying to break his will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's great. I, I think when you realize you're affecting people that you never imagined when you put content out there, that's the best possible use of social media. So 21 at 60. How do you think that'll feel different 10 years from now? Will you be able to do the same things with the same intensity or will you have to make adjustments? I'll tell you what, the funny thing is I've thought about that too. I really have. And, you know, because for me, it's a lifestyle and I want to continue this lifestyle for the next 10, 15, maybe even 20 years if I, if I can. And, you know, we talked about cycling earlier and when I'm on my bike, you know, I see people much older than myself. I see people who look like, they're in their 60s and you know they're riding maybe not at the same speed but at least they're out there doing something and that encourages me 
uh, in more ways than one. So I know I can do that. As far as lifting is concerned, hey, no more of the heavy weights. You have to um, decrease the intensity, maybe lower the, the, the weights, but increase the, the reps. That's always an option. But I do continue, I do plan on continuing this lifestyle, um, still eating healthy, um, you know, drinking my, my juices and my teas. Uh, I'm not going to get away from my, my, my mint and my ginger teas and my matcha. So I do think I'll be able to continue this for at least the next 10 to 15 years. I think you got more years than that in you, man. You continue <laughs> to be an inspiration uh, and a great example to me as well as many others. And, and thanks, man. Appreciate you taking time and, and, and sharing your story and some of your tips and secrets. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. You're an inspiration to me, too. I'm chasing you, buddy. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> chase somebody else. I'm just trying to hang on out here. But <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening to both Des and Gabby. I had great fun talking to both of them. I'm grateful to them for their time. My thanks to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, producer Jason Weichel, and my good buddy Scott McEachern for his guidance in this episode. Hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to comment on what you liked or maybe what you'd like to see improved, you can message me on Instagram at Chris Fowler. I'll talk to you again soon.